Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Susie Salmon of Tuscan, Arizona. It's Tucson, Arizona. This week's Law & Order... Ooh. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Susie Salmon of Toucan... Tus- <laughs> Tucson. Tucson. Why do they have a C in there? This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Susie Salmon of Tucson, Arizona. Susie will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Jamila Lemieux, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedure, baby. It's the FNOG of Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Special Victims Unit Season 16, Episode 15, Undercover Mother. We were undercover at a brothel, and before we could... Back up, who's we? Me, Finn, Carisi, the whole squad. The whole squad was undercover at a brothel on Super Bowl Sunday? We don't need to get your approval. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On, and formerly Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm great. Rounding out our panel is our special guest currently from Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting podcast, Jamila Lemieux. Hi, Jamila. Hi. So good to be here. So you give parenting advice. I want to know, what would you say to Olivia about explaining uh, his complicated family history to Noah? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you know, essentially last night, like I was attempting not when I before when I was watching the episode, I, I watched one more. I watched the episode prior um, to uh, 16, 15. And then I was like, I'm not going to watch anymore. I'm going to go to bed. It's really late. And I was going to walk away because I thought everything had resolved itself when Olivia gets the <laughs> no. knock on the door. I was like, oh, I'm going to bed. <laughs> Everything's fine. Because I don't have a concept of time the way I did when there's, you know, the regular commercial breaks. And so I was like, oh, this, yep. is, this has been on forever. Um, I would not recommend sharing that information with Noah until he was maybe... <laughs> 35 years old. Mm. Yeah, good. Yeah. Leave it in the will. Yeah. Yeah. A little note. Jamila, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite Law & Order detective team? Favorite Law & Order detective team. Oh, it's definitely Benson and Stabler for me. I, old school. I'm old school that way. Yeah. There's nothing better than that. Though, Finn and Munch are an honorable mention for me. 
So even though we we served you up an Amarisode, <laughs> you were not yes, you're not swayed. Yes, you gave me the, the the worst possible grouping of detectives ever. Exactly. Yeah. She's right. And who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Let's see, Judith Light. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I was Donnelly, fan. right? Yes, Elizabeth Donnelly. Donnelly. And oh, there were two blondes who, for some reason, I always get them confused, even though they're vastly different. But the everyone one, gets them confused. Why Alex that? Cabot and Alex Casey Cabot. Novak? Yes, I. <laughs> yes, I. Thank you so much. You do this. You're welcome. You do this. Uh, I have a Law and Order Wiki character guide on the bulletin board in front of me. So just <laughs> FYI, we've been doing this podcast for many years. When we first started it, I was like blonde number one. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, SVU Season 16, Episode 15, Undercover Mother. Well, the entire Special Victims Unit, which is now, I guess, moonlighting as the Vice Squad, <laughs> uh, do an undercover sting at a brothel. When a new van full of underage girls pulls up, Olivia and company bust in and arrest everyone. And back at the station house, the madam says, Psst, hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'm undercover. <laughs> I'm not a cop. My name is Martha Thornhill. I'm from Calgary. My daughter, Ariel, was kidnapped three years ago. And you think she was taken by traffickers? I know she was. I've been tracking her from Toronto to Minneapolis to Buffalo. I've seen her pictures in backstage sex ads. They, they took her to New York six months ago. Did you contact NYPD? No. Why not? Toronto police didn't believe me. Martha's been tracking her for years and proves it by showing them her giant picture wall of underground prostitution. <laughs> she was about to meet with Ariel's pimp to buy her freedom when the team raided the brothel. Barba loses his fucking mind when he learns Martha's, you know, been actually trafficking women to do this. <laughs> Olivia offers to set up another sting in order to recover Ariel. The detectives convince a trafficker to give up the location of a new brothel where Ariel might be. And you can't run a brothel on Super Bowl Sunday without a whole bunch of Miller High Life. So Nick busts the guy making beer deliveries to the house and takes his place. Once he's inside, SVU barges in. Ariel's not there, so Benson tells the madam that they are going to be running the joint this weekend. Well, I have long suspected it, and I am proven correct in this episode. Carisi could not get laid even in a whorehouse. <laughs> what are we talking about? Five minutes or five hours? Because my wife gets home at 11. Five minutes. It's worth the wait. They're young and fresh. It better be. You know what's so funny about this whole, like, Carisi situation? And this, aside from the fact that it's Carisi. Yeah. Uh, first of all, we know that, you know, words like whore are not okay. It's right. sex worker. We know. Right. But I'll just but say, does thanks not- for bringing this up before we go any further, because we realize <laughs> you've got, um, is this, we're not talking about empowered uh, women who want to take on sex work as a profession. Right. We're talking about the other side of things, women who have been trafficked. trafficked. Okay. Right. Carisi still looks disgusted and like he's thinking they're all horse. That's right. <laughs> I'm so glad I watched the next episode because I haven't watched as many of the Carisi, you know, I mean, because he sucks. Um, the next episode, there's a battle between the dog. Do you ever talk about? It's OK if I talk about this, right? It's not a spoiler. It's oh, yeah. This episode is like 15 years old. Um, he's. There's a battle between the daughters of a of an elderly, dying, old, beloved conservative male author 
and his wife, who's played by, oh my God, Kimberly from Melrose Place, the redhead. Um, Marsha Cross. Marsha Cross. She's trying to harvest his sperm and have a baby with him. He's, you know, nearing the end of his life. And so... You you find out that this guy who Carisi loves, so he loves this writer. Like he's he read him in college. He's so passionate about him. He like pushed his wife through like a glass door, which has a lot to do with all of this going on. Like he's this horrible misogynistic dude, and it's like, of course, this is Carisi's like yeah. author of note. It, it was a good. It's like his Ayn Rand. Yes, it was. I was gonna say. I was literally gonna say like this is his Ayn Rand. Like this is his conscious by which he makes his terrible decisions. So his contempt for trafficked women was not at all surprising. You know, could you maybe sign my copy? Okay. Uh. <laughs> he does get better. Just just to, for Grace's defense, a little bit. He becomes more tolerable in the last couple seasons than he was at the beginning, for yeah. sure. But this maybe this episode with this era in Carisi's career. I remember watching it and thinking, this is the only time I will ever agree with Amaro on anything is his disdain for this stupid douchebag who now works in this squad. <laughs> so after Martha tries to explain, no, I'm really here because I'm looking to rescue my daughter, uh, she takes them to her apartment and shows them her Carrie Matheson string board of uh, <laughs> newspaper clippings and photos of Ariel. Liv, you got to check this out. Okay. See, I'm not a criminal. We're going to have to speak with our DA. You got to let me go. Let you go. And she wants to, she thinks that this is going to prove that she's innocent. I just think it proves she's obsessed. I think that uh, there's a very small population of people who could get away with such a thing, and that would have to be. <laughs> it, it was, she's fortunate that her daughter was a pretty blonde because she herself was not a blonde, and she might not have been mm-hmm. able to get away with these shenanigans uh, were she not looking for that little girl. I also love how quickly uh, Olivia's like, okay, so here's what it is. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Olivia, Olivia has like seen enough uh, versions of how not without my daughter on, you know, Lifetime Movie Channel that she's like, I get it, I, I, I totally get, it, get girl. It. Yeah, I do the same. She's starting to explain. It's like, no, stop. I I'll fill it in. I I get to the end of it. But she goes to this, you know, the wall with all the stuff, and there's a ton of things. What if they went in and it was like two newspaper clippings <laughs> and a little rubber band? And she, See, my big investigation. Do you think that when she's moving from place to place, she has to carefully deconstruct, yeah. pack the wall, take a photo of it with her phone, make sure that she puts it all back up the right way in her next apartment? Yeah, that's why they use that sticky putty stuff instead of uh, actual masking tape because it would, you know, rip. Although I think Olivia could have done a better job of preparing bar for what he was about to hear. <laughs> yeah. You're going to charge me? You broke the law. Kidnapping, sex trafficking. You were looking at 20 years. I've been in New York the past year. You've done nothing. I finally find the pimp who has her. You, you decide to move in now? You're running a brothel. I'm infiltrating to get to Ariel's pimp. We're going to keep looking for her. Please, please let me keep looking. No, you're out of this game. And if you do not want to do time, we need your names, your intel, all of it. <laughs> she completely buried the lead on that. She came in very like, you know, well, she's fighting for her daughter. But it's her daughter. Yes. Although I have to say, <laughs> she does have a very good comeback, the mom, to yeah. Barba, when he's like, she explains how she's paying for the girls. I have not saved my daughter yet, but I've bought and sent home six girls. Bought? Yes. If a girl causes enough trouble, a pimp will sell her for 1200 It's a slave trade. Where do you get the money? Donations from my church. Come on, it's a cash business. And Barbara's like, where'd you get the money? And she was like, donations from my church. 
Right. Nobody said when you say donations from their church, are they donating to the Buy Girls Fund or do they think they're like keeping the lights on for you while you search for your daughter and they just take pity on you? She was being sarcastic. Probably probably from the Church of Perpetual Conception. No, but she was being sarcastic. She was. was, Yeah, she was like, like, fuck you. What do you think I get it? Yeah. (laughs) All right. We have a couple of Hey, It's That Girls. Hey, It's that girl. Can anybody tell me who was playing the undercover mother, Martha Thornhill? Ariel was 13. We were on vacation in Toronto. We were having lunch at a cafe. I went to pay at the register. I was gone two minutes tops. The police thought my boyfriend and I had something to do with her disappearance. That's Joe Lies herself, Lily Taylor, made famous in Say Anything, but she's been in many, many things, obviously. Yeah, uh, she uh, graduated high school with rocker Liz Fair and appeared in Mystic Pizza along with D'Onofrio. And Julia Roberts. And Julia Roberts. Also, I shot Andy Warhol and was in the new Perry Mason. This is like one of those actresses where they said, we, we need to kind of level up a little bit for mm-hmm. this kind of role. Would you Would you agree? Yes. She's got one of the, and then for a lot of us, it's that's one of those faces I've seen before, but I know I'm going to get a strong performance out of her. She was not the run-of-the-mill SVU grieving mother by far. Mm. She couldn't pronounce Toronto, though. She said it wrong, as we've learned from listeners. Well, I think people who live in Toronto pronounce it Toronto. Yes, but she's she's from Calgary. (laughs) Okay, good. Come on, Rebecca, keep up. (laughs) What is up with Calgary in this show? There have been so many stories where people have come from. It's always Calgary. I know more likely they should be coming from Quebec, but nobody can do the accent the right way. I think they're just lucky. Carisi can do his, and then. Well, we'll get to Murphy later. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Lily Taylor, she was briefly engaged to actor Michael Imperoli. Still, uh, it was longer than Michael Imperoli's uh, five-episode run as Fontana's partner on original Law & Order. You know, you remember that guy from uh, The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, because you I didn't remember, watch, I watch The Sopranos. <laughs> Michael from The Sopranos? No, every time you bring up The Sopranos, every time I'm like, I didn't watch that show. And then you keep going like the next time again, as if I'm going to have watched all of The Sopranos between the last time we talked about it and the new time we're talking about No, this about always it. happens when we talk about Orange is the New Black. So yeah. stand by. Okay. Because I'd like to ask about the actress playing Selena Cruz. Did you recognize her? I did not. Was she in ours? Is the new black? Yes, she was. <laughs> Never seen her before. I don't believe you. That's Laura Gomez. Uh, she played Blanca for six seasons on Orange is the New Black. You don't recognize her because she was the one with the crazy hair and the unibrow. Oh, that's right. You yeah. know? And so she's the official announcer for the brand's cover girl and suave professionals. Oh, she's like a voiceover? Yeah. Huh. I mean, it's ironic. It's those products when you yeah. see her character in it's Orange true. is the New Black. No it's one true. said, oh... The one with the unibrow. Let's get her. <laughs> She'd be perfect. How about uh, Pilar, the sassy sex slave? <laughs> oh, the one who talked back? Fine. Arrest me. Dimmer will post bail or throw me to social services. I go to a shelter. I do the night guy. He lets me run away. Isn't that Jamila Vasquez? It is. <laughs> Where do you know her from? I don't know. Where do I know her from? Uh, she's uh, the pop singer Laura Carrillos on Empire. Never saw it. Did you, you ever watch Empire? <laughs> I watched the first few seasons, but I didn't see the last couple. Uh, she also had a guest appearance on Orange is the New Black. Do you recognize the actress who was playing Laura the traffic girl who told Rollins all about Ariel. Do you recognize her? No. Just let me go back, okay? I've got nothing for you. That's Emily 
All Fast, she played Maureen Cacudio on Orange is the New Black. That was Crazy Eye's girlfriend. There's so many Orange is the New Black people on this show. Yeah, well, she played the girlfriend until Crazy Eye's killed her. And, you know, I don't know, when you're dating somebody named Crazy Eyes, you should have seen that coming. Do they, like, shoot on the same set or something as Orange is the New Black? Like, hey, come over here. <laughs> well, <laughs> we I need mean, someone. I mean, isn't it because it's there, you've got the New York area bubble of, of the actors? Theater people, yeah. As yeah. opposed to Los Angeles, which is probably, yeah, more common. Concentrated. Mm-hmm. And they're probably all theater people, right? Um, we do have a Hey, It's That Guy. Wow, it's a big list. Hey, it's that guy. Can you name the actor playing Lieutenant Declan Murphy? I can. Go ahead. That's, it's Donald Logue. Is that his name? Yeah. yeah. I remember him from like being in a lot of 90s stuff. A lot of 90s right. stuff. Nine months I'm embedding myself in the trafficking ring and you want to blow with the Super Bowl vice bus? That's the dumbest, riskiest day of the year. Okay, we're looking for a trafficked girl. Just one? I thought I taught you to think big. I'm tracking hundreds. I'm working for Johnny D. What was his big show? Like, I felt he was so familiar that it was hard for me to take him seriously as a bishop. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was in Blade, ER, Life, ER, yeah. Vikings, Zodiac, Gotham, basically anything with a one-word title. <laughs> he would get into that. I know him from comedy, though. There was a comedy, there was a sitcom that he was on for a long time. Was he like the lead on a, sh- a sitcom? Yeah. I'm trying to think if it was Life or... I feel like he's always like the guy. He was in brother. the Knights of Prosperity, I think. Was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he just sort of has that kind of goofy-looking face. Yeah. And so, for some, you know, he did a uh, a short stint, I think it was about six episodes, on SVU. In the 1980s, he was a roadie for the Lemonheads. Okay. Anyone remember the Lemonheads? Sure. Yeah. What was their big hit? They were like an alt rock band. Yeah, but right? you don't know what they did. No. Yeah. They had a great rock cover of Mrs. Robinson, and that's mm-hmm. all I know about them. All right. Lastly, who is playing Johnny D's lawyer, Don Taft? Not guilty, Your Honor. We request ROR. My client has never had so much as a parking ticket. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> This is Josh Savino. Uh, He hadn't been on television for 20 years. You last saw him with the big glasses and goofy haircut in the Wonder Years. That was Kevin's best friend, Paul Pfeiffer. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. Oh, my. Remember the Wonder Years, Jamila? That fucking show was so great. Fred Savage. I love Fred Savage. So Josh ended up going to law school for real. Uh, He practices law in New York City. And he says people come up to him all the time and they mistake him for Marilyn Manson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, was wasn't there a rumor, rumor when the Wonder Years was on that he was yep. Marilyn Manson? Yes. Remember that? That was like a weird urban legend. That was an early internet rumor. He says, quote, what would you rather have, people thinking you're a dorky kid from the Wonder Years or a satanic rock star? It's way cooler. <laughs> So they're staking out uh, this party house, as they call it, and they see... Party house. It even says it in the Chiron. It says party Party house. house. (laughs) They see Timmer, the pimp, pull up with a van full of strung out girls, and then Tracy, the madam, comes out and yells at him, and he gets back in the car, and Finn is like watching through binoculars, and he sees this. It could be Tracy. She must be pissed because that girl's strung out. Do you tell what's going on? Maybe she's not happy with the delivery. She sent him back for more girls. She's sending him out for more girls. As if it, like, he, he got the unsalted butter <laughs> at the store. He's like, come on, we got to go get more girls. She's not going to like that. I loved her, by the way. What was that madam's name? Tracy. Love Tracy. I really did. I thought she, I wanted to see more of her. I love when they were like trying to get her to like, you know, be part of their scheme. And she's like, what? Like, why would I do that? And I'm like, that's right. Why would you? Don't let them violate your rights. Don't let them do it. Jamila, where do you think Timmer was going in this van once he got 
told off? Was there like a mini mart he was going to pick up a couple of more sex slaves? I, you know what? I'm imagining that there's another bad place where they ended up finding the girls at the end where I don't know. It, it I think from like my first viewing of from my first time, like being deep into SVU and now like my feelings about sex work are so deeply complicated and, and sympathetic that it was kind mm. of hard for me, you know, in the way that I would escape into this world before I was really like, I spent a lot of time around that period in the episode thinking about like, what the fuck must it be like to go through this? Like, <laughs> what does, yeah. That's what right. kind of life is it? You know, again, not to be the person who's like, yeah. well, here's how I choose to pay my bills either because I really like it or I think it's just a thing I can do well, but like the misery of like, well, this person has decided that this is what my night is going to look like. You know, um, yeah. wherever he was taking them from, it was somewhere that was not a good place to be. But on a much lighter note, it's grounded for life. That's where I know it's. <laughs> oh, that's right. I oh. may have been the only person who watched it. And I can't believe I'm like, I'm looking at it like, oh, my God, I watched like every episode of this show and I completely forgot that it existed. But that's what was fucking me up last night when I was watching this. I was like, I know this man. I know him. <laughs> because I was like, yeah. So in this part of the episode, too, Finn and Amaro, when they're doing the stakeout, also seem, like, disgusted by whores, right? I'm like, aren't you guys the special victims unit? Like, isn't your job frequently to deal with victims who are also sex workers? And haven't you, I don't know, gained some empathy over the course of your many, many decades in this work? But instead of looking through the binoculars, and they're just like, ugh. That was really It was really gross. One of them's always having a bad day. Yeah, not good. Well, can we get to this week's microaggression? Oh, my God. Uh, The detectives... That was not a microaggression. I don't think you know what the word microaggression means. If you're going to qualify this one as a microaggression. So the detectives see that they're trafficking several black girls, and they say, ah, they're more ethnic. No sign of burial, not even in a disguise? No, most of these girls were ethnic. I mean, it's a lower-rent crowd than the loft. A little white girl like Ariel would be considered high class. Could be a special request. Nobody's bringing the big bucks. So as the middle-aged white man in the room, I'm going to step back (laughs) and just get the popcorn and let you guys hash that out. What do you think? Well handled? I mean, I would like to think that at some point, when Ice-T receives his script, he might just be like, Hell no. (laughs) Why do you have me saying this shit? It is not okay. No, they just, you know, I mean, this is supposed to be the way cops talk. I don't know. Not okay. um, You know, I I struggle with Ice-T, with with my, you know, appreciation of Finn and what I think of Ice-T, who is a really very complicated (laughs) figure who, like... You know, mm-hmm. was once known for posing on an album cover with a you know long barrel shotgun and a or rifle rather, and a, you know a naked woman and a snake, and who kind of who dabbled in pornography and positioned himself as if not a pimp, pimp adjacent, as did Snoop. So to see them kind mm-hmm. of become like mainstreamed in the way that they are, it's like you know even if you've denounced the the violence and you know when they talk about you know, denouncing the gun violence and the music that they once made. They don't talk about the violence against women, you know, and the celebration of pimping specifically. Um, So to see him there, there's a part of me that would have wanted, and I'm sure at some point, you know, I'd like to believe that he said like, hey, this doesn't quite sound right. And it was related to something that was not just about black people, but specifically about black women. But I, I can't say I'm too surprised that he wasn't like, can they at least acknowledge that that's fucked up? You know, because it's I think we all know that like how, you know, sex workers are categorized in terms of who, you know, gets to charge the most and who's considered high class, quote unquote, and whatever. But 
for them to not say like uh, for them like oh it's just these cheap black girls like yeah well you know she's gonna be a hot commodity and, and not reflect on like you know we have to save them too and that was the th- I mean that was the thing that of course bothered me throughout the episode the willingness to trade on these women that are either you know undesirable or unimportant because they're women of color or because they don't have a mother who's looking for them you know that they know of right, right. that you know trading them around like chess pieces is fine just to get to Ariel. Just to get the, yeah. the white blonde girl. It's yeah. just like it's like how crime true yeah. crime plays out. Like yeah. like the stories of like the pretty blonde girl are the ones that get elevated. That bothered me so Absolutely. much in this episode. Yeah, I mean and it is true in you know, in the sleazy underground prostitution world that that is the economy of it. I, f- I think it says a lot more about the Johns than about these women who are in the. I think there's a lot more the about the world. The, women. the world, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I there's a, there's a balance between sort of reflecting, you know, the real life grittiness for a, a television show, and then amplifying yeah. some of the wrong messaging. And I feel like the message comes away. I come away with, or I feel like I'm being presented is that for a white girl has to be kidnapped mm-hmm. to get into this 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 ring into this life but all of these other women of color they chose it they or can't got, do any better they can't do any better right. or something and that's or something and that's like how that. it comes across yeah. in this episode especially when they get when they somehow magically get these girls into motel rooms from jail and they're trying to shake them down to find out where pretty mm-hmm. white ariel is and they're on all the other girls are like nah you're not gonna get me to like you know flip or whatever and i'm like you could also i don't know pull her out of the situation. Right. Just saying. (laughs) She's literally in front of you. She's actually like, here's here's, you get a free one. Right. Like you weren't even looking. Exactly. Here you can rescue her. Yeah. It's like the lifeguard swimming up with the red. I'm looking for Ariel. (laughs) No. Okay. Just swimming off. (laughs) So it seems unnecessary for Nick to sneak in as the beer delivery guy. If they're just going to kick the door in. (laughs) What was the whole point of. No, he should have called. Damn, lady, why don't you call myself? I'm just doing him a favor. I got eight cases here, more in the van. It's a busy day. Do you want them or not, huh? <laughs> he needed practice <laughs> acting. <laughs> but Tracy says, you're going to bust me on Super Bowl on Sunday? Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> what the hell is this? You shaking me down on Super Bowl Sunday? Consider it a hostile takeover. <laughs> you're going to bust me on the Black Friday of prostitution? <laughs> oh. Who knew? Who, Super Bowl Sunday? Who is going to a house of ill repute, as they used to call it, on Super Bowl Sunday instead of hanging out with their friends? People who don't have any friends? Like, who are, who are these people? I don't know. And do you go and, and you have your, you know, your way with a prostitute before the game or halftime or when does... It know. seems like that would be... Watching football and getting it on are like two really different things. <laughs> Super Bowl, it's like the Godfather. You come to me on my daughter's wedding. <laughs> In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Well, now let's look at the second half of this episode. The detectives come up with a plan to get Ariel to the brothel for the big football game. Make some calls. Get her here. Yo, I don't even know who she with. We'll find out. And then tell the pimp that you got a special request. You've got a whale here who's willing to pay top dollar for snow bunnies. I do what I can. Yeah, you will. 
Listen, anybody ask, I'm Bethany. I'm here to help you out for the day. And I'm your new supplier. I'm some girls here fresh from Vice. I'm your whale. Dressed almost like you'd think, uh, <laughs> Benson goes undercover as a visiting mad- madam. But if I told you Finn was going as a pimp, yeah, he's dressed exactly how you think he would, <laughs> except for a hat uh, with a long feather in it or something. The brothel is now staffed by only undercover sex workers grinding on undercover Johns. Ariel's pimp Timmer arrives, but he doesn't have her. That's when an unannounced pimp shows up. They call him Bishop. But he's really the squad's old Lieutenant Declan Murphy, talking in a ridiculous (laughs) Irish accent. (laughs) That's when he pistol whips Carisi and pulls a gun and everybody else is like getting arrested and it's mayhem. Murphy says that he's undercover in this trafficking ring. He says Timmer sold Ariel to Johnny D, but he doesn't know where she's being kept. When Nina refuses to help the cops, Martha says, hey, I'm Ariel's mom. And Nina says... Ariel has a real mom? (laughs) So she says that Johnny D breaks in the girls by keeping them chained in a basement. They raid the building and they find uh, Johnny D holding a shard of glass to Ariel's throat. He surrenders. Martha is reunited with Ariel. Johnny D is arraigned on federal charges. And Benson says, well, we'll never have to worry about him again. (laughs) (laughs) So what will happen in the last two minutes of the episode? Warner who hasn't been on the show in almost a year, Mm. uh, shows up at Olivia's apartment and says a DNA search found that Johnny D is Noah's father. Mm. Well, I think this is the soapiest season of SVU that they've done. It's got these long storylines with Noah and adopting Noah and Noah getting sick and now Johnny D and Nick and and Amanda and Amanda's pregnant, but not by Nick and by Declan and Carisi's mustache. And it's all a bit much. (laughs) Yeah, uh, this was around the time I tapped out. This was like, okay, well, you know, so Staber's like not coming back. Like he's definitely not coming back. Okay, got it. He's definitely not coming back. You can blow out that candle. Okay, so Benson is planning this operation, so she calls somebody and says, I need six of the youngest looking UCs you've got appropriately dressed. Appropriately dressed. (laughs) You know what strikes me about this is that that's exactly what NBC said to the casting director for this episode. (laughs) We got the youngest looking actresses you can get and put them in some clothes that make everybody say, oh, yes, mm. prostitute. Yeah. I didn't realize you could just order them that way. That's really like, what are these cops doing right now? Like, are they home having dinner and they get the call and it's like, I got to go. I've been called up. And do they have wardrobe? Like, does somebody <laughs> help you? Or like, do you have to have these clothes on your own? I mean, that's my question about Olivia, right? Because poor Lucy, poor, poor, poor Lucy, who basically lives in Olivia's apartment with Noah. Are you going to a Super Bowl party? Um, something like that. Yeah, she comes out, she's like, are you going to a Super Bowl party? And Olivia's dressed, you know, as a madam from Long Island or something. Okay. And she's putting on, she has like her like, you know, tight shirt or whatever. And I'm like, you know, Olivia's apartment is not very big. Does she have a separate closet? For all of these clothes that she sometimes wears for these things? Because it's not the first time we've seen her in what she thinks of as an undercover outfit. Does she go to Century 21 on the way home from work? <laughs> <laughs> I need some leather boots. <laughs> Unless you wear leather pants and like a um, very like dress barn kind of like wrap like shirt. Yeah, with a leopard skin pattern. Yes, so. but do not be smirch leopard to Jamila. She's a fan. <laughs> we, we can see right now into yeah. her uh, closet. And... Jamila's doing this podcast from uh, Olivia Benson's undercover closet. 
I've got I literally have all of her looks in here. <laughs> so are those undercover female cops actually fucking those guys? <laughs> I mean, it's a good question, right? What guys? Are they all cops, too? Well, I, th- well, I mean, look. No, they're not, because they busted some of those guys. Well, then who are all the guys that are there? Because, look, if I show up at a party house <laughs> on the Black Friday of prostitution, and none of the sex workers are, you know, doing the sex, <laughs> I don't, I'm going to get suspicious. I don't know if I'm going to stick around. That's a really good point that I did not think of. It's like, you know, somebody starts grinding on Carisi, and it's like, I... Isn't is she also undercover? And to be like, well, hello, Susan. Yeah, you remember me from the traffic department? Oh yeah, it's, you're pretty young looking. Perfect job for you. Oh god. I also think, like, considering how many uh, accusations of uh, sexual harassment and and violence towards women come from police officers in general, everything about like requiring that kind of charade between colleagues seems like a very bad like I don't know if there's anyone I trust less than a cop to be totally cool about like his you know woman colleague <laughs> sitting on top of him in booty shorts yes I mean the good news is Carisi also looks disgusted with that so <laughs> we gotta make it look good <laughs> all Carisi could think about was his nieces his you nieces know. yeah he always he's like one of these like Italian guys always talks about like my nieces yeah, my mother my mother would be so pleased <laughs> Uh, so this this show aired a week and a half after Super Bowl, the Super Bowl in 2015. Perfect. So they're able to like record a few lines after the Super Bowl aired that makes the show. So it sounds like there's like this whole thing about are we get a Deflate Gate reference. You a Seahawks fan? I'll make sure nothing's underinflated tonight. <laughs> you do that, baby. That woman, she may be a sex slave, but she keeps up with Sports Center. She wasn't. She was a cop. Wasn't she a fake cop? I don't. I can't tell the difference. <laughs> it's, this is this speaks to the problem with SVU, especially SVU in this era. It is poorly written and poorly edited, and you have no idea what's going on half the time. And then you try to do a podcast about it and make all kinds of mistakes, and it's not our fault. It is the fault of the writer's room. It is their fault. Do you think that this is one of those things where, because it's so obvious that these lines are put in there as a wink to like what's happening in the real world, that it takes you out of the show for a minute? It does. I actually prefer, I don't want my SVU ripped from the headlines. Uh, I don't want the headlines sprinkled in there for a little razzle-dazzle to make me you know, feel like the show's being recorded in real time. Finally, as an Irishman, I can be offended by something from the show. Congratulations. It's Murphy's fake accent. Hey, you, never speak to a woman like that. You're done. The game hasn't even started yet. Back off. No, it's just over. Who are you? I don't know you. Now you do. Hey, none of that. Shoot, man. Shoot. Take it easy, man. I don't know you either, Superfly. That's it. This party's over. Drop your gun. So look, if you're undercover, right, and you know the other people in the room are also undercover, why can't you just like everybody be undercover and do their own fucking thing, right? Why can't you just be cool, Soda Pop? Why do you got to start like beating everybody up? Yeah. Well, he had to make it look real. He had Why? To it, <laughs> he had to make it look real except for the stupid accent. So here's my questions about the accent. Yeah. Why? Is an Irish guy scarier than just a white guy? 
I don't think so. I think it's actually less scary, personally, if the guy walking in the room sounds like the Lucky Charms elf. <laughs> a a super if, like, scary thing. That, like, if it I was just in the know. Russian mob, you would buy it. Maybe I'd buy but it. But now an, an angry Irish guy comes out of nowhere and is like, I'm taking over to this trafficking ring now. <laughs> I'm wearing the hat. I've got one of those flat caps on, so you're going to listen to me. Smack you around. Maybe it's because he's harder to, like, that. Like he, he says, he's coming from the Irish prostitution world, and everybody just kind of looks at each other like, mm, okay, sure. Know. Like, you know, somebody's like, do you know anybody in Irish prostitution? No, all right, no. I can't say that. No. I mean, he, I'm sure he assume he actually has Irish relatives. His mother's Donald? from Ireland. His yeah. mother's Irish. Yeah. He should be better at this. Exactly. <laughs> but then he goes in. First, he does. He pistol whips Carisi, and then he pulls a gun on Finn. And he, he says, "I don't know you, Superfly." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rollins later on says to Murphy, uh, thanks for putting that baby into me. <laughs> Been under a long time. You okay? I'm fine. Some of these girls are telling me that you actually pimped them out. You can't believe a word they say. They're liars. Huh. What about you? You walking the walk? Yeah, I had a rough patch, but um, what doesn't kill you? Makes you a better detective. Murphy says, hey, you know, uh, thanks, but I have to stay undercover where I am actually trafficking women. Right. It's not okay for Lily Taylor to do it, but it's super cool for him to do it. So fine for me to yeah. do it. And also, saving one girl is not a big enough job for me. I'm so deep in. I, like, fuck Ariel. <laughs> I have to, like, no, I cannot help you release somebody from this ring. She must stay That's in right. or she'll blow my cover. Exactly. Think bigger. <laughs> I taught you to think bigger. Think bigger. <laughs> you got dressed up and nobody had a fake accent. Mm. I thought I taught you better. Yep. So the cliffhanger is that Benson finds out that Noah is Johnny D's son. There was a hit on Johnny Drake's DNA when it went through the system. It was a familial match in an unrelated case and not discoverable in Drake's current case. He never needs to know. Needs to know what? What are you saying? What I'm trying to tell you, Johnny D is Noah's father. Is this a good way to end this episode or not? Well, first of all, they brought Tamara Tooney in. So anytime they bring her in, it's fine with me. By the way, she Agreed. also used to be in a soap opera as the world turns. Anyway, but I have a question. How does she know? <laughs> like, how does I, how does she know? I guess maybe when he was... I don't know. I don't know. Because I thought I, I went through that. I said, is it okay when he was processed, they do they check him again? But why would they be playing with his DNA if he was just arrested for doing something bad? Like Yeah. This is not what we want. I can't imagine. They also have to explain that he's the biggest sex trafficker in New York City, but for twenty years he's never been arrested. That's right. Which is why this is how they finally get his DNA. Hmm. Because if they had had it earlier, then they you know, would have known in episode one, but whatever. How do they know he's the biggest sex trafficker in, in the city if he's never been arrested? Another question. How do they know? Bishop told them. <laughs> Johnny D, who's that? Johnny D's never been arrested in 20 years. Maybe it's because it's been the clan all along. <laughs> Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details.
In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did you it. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Headlines. This episode is inspired by the story of Argentine activist Susana Tremarco. In 2002, after leaving a health clinic, her daughter, Maria, was shoved into a car and disappeared. Weeks later, a prostitute told Susanna and her husband that Maria's kidnappers had sold her into sexual slavery. Susanna searched for her by dressing as a prostitute and visiting brothels. The information she gathered helped police raid three cabarets that were fronts for prostitution and freed more than a dozen women. One of those freed said Maria had been at the brothel a week earlier before being shipped to a new location. Susanna continued her investigation, posing as a madam looking to buy women to traffic. Her work led to arrests of more trafficking and the liberation of dozens of women held captive by them. It broke up sex rings in both Argentina and Spain. In 2012, 10 years after her daughter's disappearance, 13 people were arrested in connection with the kidnapping. But despite Susanna Tramarco's efforts, Maria's whereabouts is still unknown. Wow, not without my daughter indeed. Yeah. But I think cabaret sounds so much better than party house. <laughs> it's so festive. Yeah. You know, yeah. Music and dancing. Um, so before her disappearance, uh, Marita made a, a new friend who was a nurse who suggested that she go to a certain clinic to get her IUD. Mm. And the kidnappers were waiting for her when she came out Ugh. and left the clinic. So they suspect that this nurse was grooming her because he'd been asking a bunch of questions about her, her family. And so it just little too convenient for her to Ugh. all of a sudden get pushed into a car. That's like my worst nightmare. Like someone recommends a doctor okay. to you and then you get kidnapped. That's your worst nightmare. That's pretty bad. It's pretty bad, especially since she probably trusted this person. Otherwise, she wouldn't have taken the recommendation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So about three days after her disappearance, uh, Marita was found by police after escaping a sex party. Uh, She was found walking along the road. She was in high heels instead of the sneakers that she had originally been in, right? And so what they did is they put her on a bus to go back home. But she never made it. Sounds like they lack some follow through in law enforcement in Argentina. What do you think? Sounds like the U.S. of A. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard stories of women, you know, who are brought into custody uh, for reasons similar to that. You know, something related to sex trafficking or, you know, some sort of harm. And they were sent back out into the world only to never be heard of again. Yeah. Right. If you were a bank robber. Welcome to our world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a universal truth, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. that it crosses cultures. Yeah. That, no one know, cares about women. Uh, yes, especially women that mm. they believe are in the sex trade. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in 2012, 13 men and women involved in Marita's kidnapping were put on trial and they were acquitted. What? Then Susanna oh. went to the president of Argentina and the next week the three judges at the trial were impeached and they retried the defendants and 10 of them were convicted. Huh. That's getting justice, right? 
Well, what about the other three? A. Well. B, obviously they don't have double jeopardy in Argentina. That's probably for the best. I think there was an argument it was a bad trial because the Which president of are... Argentina was this? I don't know. <laughs> was, the he the good guy one? Who, was he the guy who sends us the oil? <laughs> was it that one? <laughs> I think it's Venezuela. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're That's right. Venezuela. That was insensitive of me. I'm sorry. We know that Susanna did this by uh, dressing up as a prostitute and making her way into the brothels and passing as a prostitute. Um, could your mother pull that off? <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. No. <laughs> Jamila, I, I don't I know your imagine, mom. but can imagine her trying, though. It would be extremely earnest. There, there would be a lot of like phone calls about whether or not the hair worked. She'd be like, I don't know. Should I wear the Talbots blazer or the L.L. Bean blazer? Yeah, no, I, that would not work. My, my mom couldn't do the prostitution thing, but my dad could pull off being bishop. <laughs> What'd you do with my boy? So my dad is Finn. Uh, I don't know if you've ever. I don't know if you've ever seen New Jack City, but the first time Ice T played a cop, he played a, a good cop, quote unquote, in New Jack City uh, with long dreadlocks, and that character is my dad in so many ways. I'm about a retired homicide detective, so I don't think they'd be sending my mother in. But no, she would not have, especially not when no. Not after having me. Maybe when she was a little bit younger. Now, I, with my closet full of leopard print cuts, <laughs> absolutely, I have the appropriate attire. I am ready. I have been posing as a sex worker in my regular life uh, <laughs> since I was 20-something years old. Well, that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Jamila Lemieux. Jamila, how can our listeners follow you online? Oh, I'm at Jamila Lemieux on Instagram and Twitter. And please check out uh, Mom and Dad are Fighting, Rebecca's old podcast on Slate. Rebecca, how can our listeners follow you? Well, you can also follow my uh, Instagram and Twitter at Reblevoy. But I will warn you, Jamila's outfits on her Instagram Way better than all my dog pictures in my Instagram. <laughs> and you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. I don't wear any clothes. Well, I mean, I do wear some, but nothing nice. Uh, you can also tweet to us at Lawn or Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flint handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. Special thanks to the Elite Squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Other Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio. It is a production of Partners in Crime Media. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.